0: whether their families have been here for generations or they just arrived in a U-Haul last week. Texans have stories to tell about the battles they have fought and the victories they have won to keep the Lone Star State the special place that it is. On the People of Texas podcast, we are joined by some of these Texas icons to share their stories. Here's your host,
1: Sherry Sylvester. Today, my guest is Ernesto Rodriguez. He is the senior curator at the Alamo down in San Antonio. Ernesto, it's great to have you. Tell us what's going on at the Alamo right now.
0: It's an exciting time to be at the Alamo. Um, there's a lot of great changes happening, new exhibits going up, new buildings going up as well. Um, this past year, we were able to open up two new temporary exhibits. One is known as the 18-pounder Losoya House Project, in which we recreated the 18-pounder. That's the iconic cannon that started the siege and battle of the Alamo. And we also just opened on uh, Christmas, right before Christmas, we opened up the Palisade. And that's a small rendition of what the Palisade would have looked like with a four-pound cannon. Currently, we're working on um, the new exhibit and collections building, which will be one of the first structures constructed in the Alamo in a long time. It'll house not only the Alamo's collection, but it will also provide us with the space for exhibits. So we have a new exhibit going up and we're also working on the new museum. So we're in the starting phase for that. And we're excited because we're able to provide the people of Texas with new learning opportunities.
1: Well, so talk about the Palisade because that sounds like a grand word. And I know in the the Dennis Quaid Alamo movie, uh, the Davy Crockett character says, "You mean that little fence of sticks out there?" So that's basically
0: it's a it's a fortified location with wooden stakes dug into the ground, and um, it's it's either single or double road. But it's, um, it's a place to provide a defense that is not readily available. So there was an opening between the church and the low barrack or the main gate area. So the Mexican army constructed this big, heavy fence. And um, they had a cannon mounted during the Battle of the Alamo. That position is typically associated with David Crockett because of the fact that um, Susanna Dickinson would say that she saw his, his body right outside that area after the fall. But the Palisade itself is a wonderful um, learning tool for us. It provides a glimpse of something that has been missing since 1836, which is one of the fortifications at the Alamo. But it also allows people to see a beautiful bronze cannon, which is a gorgeous piece of, um, of basically, a, it's an artistic piece because it was, took a labor of artists to be able to create it. But it's also a working reproduction of a true four pound cannon but typically the only thing we weren't able to do at the palisade was do the abati which is uh, fallen trees because that would not really look nice out there a whole bunch of fallen trees but we were able to do enough to show people what the alamo looked like in that particular section
1: what do people ask you most when they come to the alamo what are they wanting to see When people come to the Alamo, one of the things that they
0: want to see is where the battle happened. And they ask us all the time, when did you move it downtown? And we have to tell people, we did not move the Alamo downtown. The town grew around it. But the main thing they want to see is where the positions in the battle happened. They want to be able to see artifacts. One of the things that draws people to the Alamo are personal effects of some of the defenders. And we're able to have a few of them. On display at the moment. We're we're going to be putting more out, but um, a lot of people come for different reasons. We have the we have the uh, World Heritage traveler that comes for the mission period. We have the majority of our visitors that are the Texan visitor that comes because it is one of those places that you must visit as a Texan. It's where our identity is born. You have the our military uh, visitors that come and um, pay the respects to men that fought. In, uh, in a war, and uh, they're about to go do the same thing. So it means something different to everyone, but the majority of the visitors come to experience what the Alamo story is. And uh, for many, it's that 13-day battle and siege, or siege and battle, I should say.
1: How many people do you get at the Alamo a year? Approximately
0: one and a half million come to visit the Alamo.
1: What do you think the attraction is? I know that we've been working on it for, you've been working on it for over 20 years, right?
0: Yes, I have. Go ahead. um, For
1: for many people, the
0: attraction is that connection to our identity, who we are as Texans. And uh, we teach it in fourth and seventh grade. And it's one of those places that people of Texas want to come see it because they want to experience that site for themselves.
1: What is, I know that there's, there's so much energy around the work we're doing to restore it. Uh, what is your biggest challenge? The biggest challenge that we're having right
0: now is being able to take all the information that we're learning and uh, turn it into something that is going to be easily understandable and um, digestible to the visitor. And so one of the things that we're hoping to do is that we're gonna get the story of the, the Battle of the Alamo, the history of the site, and we're going to be able to put as much as we can into the museum, but what does not fit, we're going to provide a digital resource for it. So that's the exciting part, because at the moment, the walls aren't our limitations, because we can go digital.
1: Are you a native San Antonio, Ernesto?
0: Yes, ma'am. I was born and raised in San Antonio.
1: Did you, so do you remember the first time you went to the Alamo? Did you grow up around it?
0: I grew up going downtown a lot, and I remember the first time I went to the Alamo, um, we went as, uh, we wanted to take a ride on the bus, and it was summertime, and my mom said, I'll take you all on the bus. So she took my sister and one of my cousins and I to the Alamo to visit, and I remember going and seeing the, the Shrine of Texas Liberty for the first time, and falling in love with the site. And um, one of the things that I thought to myself is one day I would love to work there. And that dream has come true. And um, it's been a, it's been a labor of love because every day I get to learn not only about the history of the site, but I also get to teach people about the history of the site and why it's important that they remember the Alamo.
1: It's Well, talk about the, uh, you were talking about the artifacts, and I know that Phil Collins has given hundreds of artifacts to the Alamo, uh, and then I've read in the newspaper that some of those weren't authentic. Talk about what you've got there, And, and when I was there a couple of weeks ago and saw you, I think David Crockett's fiddle was there.
0: We had a loan. We had a loan at that time from the witty Museum, and it's a fiddle that is uh, passed down through the Crockett family, and um, that's what we had on display. And uh, but the Collins collection is one of those incredible collections of Texana that um, provides us with the opportunity to be able to fill the gaps in the Alamo story. He has a vast collection of documents that come with it, and those documents are so great because. We have uh, the battle orders that Santa Ana had issued on March 5th prior to the final assault. We have a letter that is um, written by Travis to Governor Henry Smith introducing Erastus Smith. And, um, and it's uh, one of those things that it ties the, the story not only to the site, but it makes it a human story. You get to learn more, and we were, um, we were honored to be able to get Phil Collins' Uh, to give us that wonderful donation that um, will provide the people of Texas with years and years of research capabilities and um, just the ability to see something that was from that period.
1: What's you th- what do you think is the coolest thing you have? The coolest? There's two really cool things at the, uh,
0: that we have at the Alamo, and, I, and it's artifact number one and two, <laughs> and that's uh, the church and the lawn barracks. Those are the two coolest artifacts because we don't tend to think of the buildings as an artifact, but those two structures have been silent witnesses to the growth of the Texan identity. And so every day when I go to work, I walk right past the front of the shrine and um, it's humbling because I am in a position where I am one of the people that is taking care of such an important asset that belongs to the people of Texas. And uh, my job is one of those that if I do it correctly, generations to come will be able to enjoy it as much as I do.
1: It definitely is that draw. I am a native Oklahoman, and I grew up with the family visit to the Alamo and always uh, my grandparents talking about what a great great site it was. And when I moved to San Antonio about 25 years ago, I worked at the Express News, so it was very close. And I would come over, walk over every day to get coffee and just touch this, the side of the building. I, was, I felt so blessed to have it so close um, and to be in the, in the footprint down there. It's, uh, it's, it's really a draw. What do you think it is about the story? Because once you study the history, it's, it's frustrating to read the history. You know, the, the, uh, the men were there. Uh, why were they there? They, they needed help. Why didn't Houston act faster? I mean, what do you think draws people uh, to, uh, to the story of the battle?
0: The, it draw, the thing that draws people to that story, it is, it's a story that most of us can relate to. It's that underdog idea where men are standing against overwhelming odds for what they believe in. It's a story of the birth of the Republic of Texas. It's a story of the basically just the expansion of the United States and their ideas. You know, It is that story that is a personal story for everyone because no matter what part of the world you're from, you can relate to having to make that stand for what you believe in. And so the Alamo story is one of those that keeps evolving. And um, I've seen people from all over the world coming and they immediately say, well, there was something that happened in my country that is similar to this. And so I wanted to come see where it really happened. And you're looking at them like, well, it also really happened where you were at, but this is the connection. You know, There's connections that we make and it's a people. That's one of the biggest connections because you see the Alamo story and they were farmers, ranchers, lawyers, doctors. They came from all walks of life. It's a, It was a true melting pot of society. And that's what draws people because these these men that were just like anyone else made the ultimate sacrifice for what they believed in, which was an independent Texas. And you look at that and it's like, it, it gives you a sense of being, and it also makes you want to strive for that idea.
1: Talk about what happened after the battle.
0: So after the battle, um, the Mexican army um, comes in, they identify some of the leaders, and then they remove all of the defenders and their bodies are burned, um, and, they remain there, the Mexican army reigns there and uh, the officer in charge um, is, or the one that's left in charge, which is, I should say, is left with all of the sick and wounded. One of the things the Mexican army didn't bring with them was a medical detachment. So he's relying on help from the town and also constantly writing letters. But when the Mexican army leaves after the battle of San Jacinto and the defeat of the Mexican army, they start basically a, a project of demolition And they destroy a lot of the fortifications. They destroy the artillery pieces that are there that they cannot move. And they do that so that no one else will use it. And the story of the Alamo you would think would end there. But the U.S. Army then comes in and they fix up the church and the long barrack. And they use that as a quartermaster depot. And then it becomes a, a mercantile establishment. And then it becomes... Uh, a sacred memorial to the heroes that immolated themselves upon that hallowed ground with the 1905 law. And so the thing that the Alamo has is that it has evolved and it's constant adaptive reuse that allows for the site to continue on and uh, survive through hardships.
1: Is there, are we worried about losing the building? I mean, it's been out in the elements now for a long time. The the church the building
0: is um, is in constant care with uh, we have a full time conservator on staff and they've been working diligently she and and uh, contractors to make sure that we're able to preserve the Alamo sh- or the church and the lawn barrack for future generations and it's one of those jobs that is never ending because the building isn't getting any younger and so. Uh, Pam Rosser, our conservator, is constantly working to try to make sure that that build those two structures survive. And so she's, um, we're lucky that she's able to continue working and is able to find the proper people to help her in her task. And um, if all goes well, it will survive another three to four hundred
1: years without without us having to worry. So. Two, two final questions here. One, if people want to know more about the Alamo, I know they can go to your website, but what book would you tell them to read?
0: If, um, if they want to just get the quick rundown of the Alamo, um, I would recommend uh, Sacrifice at the Alamo by Richard Bruce Winders. He, um, he was a, our former curator and historian on the site, and he did a, he, he wrote this wonderful book if you're looking for some, a book that brought many people into the Alamo story, it would be A Time to Stand by Walter Lord. Uh, he was a newspaper man that uh, also wrote A Night to Remember about the Titanic, but it's a great introduction. Um, if you're more into the Texas Revolution as a whole, uh, one of the books that I would recommend is The Texian Iliad by Stephen Hardin. And he also just finished, He just uh, published, a, uh, I believe it was last year or the year before, Lust for Glory. And so, those are a few books that are really great. Now, if you just want a big reference book that can give you pers- uh, basically a lot of primary sources, uh, The Alamo Reader by Todd Hansen.
1: So, and then what's at uh, thealamo.org in terms of information about when you should visit, about how people can visit there? Hmm?
0: Uh, if you go to our website at www.thealamo.org, um, you, can, you, can, um, you can find not only the history of the site, but you can also find uh, any information on how to visit the site. We also have uh, materials available for educators, and our site is constantly growing. So I highly recommend that, that people visit the site often because it's changing constantly. And it, um, it's a way that you can get news of what is occurring on the site Basically, uh, not not daily, but close enough.
1: And you can become a friend of the Alamo.
0: Yes, ma'am. We have a we have a friend of the Alamo program where you can uh, join. It's a membership program, and you can join. And um, and there's several levels, but by joining the Friends of the Alamo, it allows it allows the visitor the opportunity to be part of something bigger, which is the Alamo story. They get they get special perks but you also get to help the Alamo in continuing its mission.
1: It's, it's so important to understanding who we are as Texans, and to keeping Texas Texan is the Alamo. It's our, it's our icon. It's, it's uh, the center of our heart. So, Ernesto, it's been great to talk to you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Remember the Alamo. thank you for joining us on the People of
0: Texas podcast. This podcast is produced by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Check out our other podcasts at texaspolicy.com or your favorite streaming platform. Until next time, remember to keep Texas Texan.